Hey everyone, welcome to Hill City. My name is Nicole Eunice. I am so glad to be joining you, whether you are here with us in person or joining us online. We hope that you know that Hill City is a safe place to explore your faith. And that's really what we're about when we come together the way we do, is exploring what this faith looks like, what it means for us, and how it impacts and changes everything about our lives. So we're starting a sermon series called Stronger. We do this every year because relationships are complicated and there's always like a nuance that we want to bring to this conversation about how we can get stronger in every relationship. But coming off of Easter, the first relationship that we want to start with is this relationship with God that we have. What changes because of Easter? What does it look like in our everyday lives? There's so many things about Christianity, about our faith that we can just kind of like have osmosis around, but when we really slow down and ask the questions, really, really being able to articulate, what does it mean that we live in a resurrection reality? What does that actually mean for our lives is what we're going to explore today. And then in the coming weeks, John will continue to like build on some different facets of those relationships. So this is kind of the main point that we're gonna explore together today. We grow, grow stronger by living into the glorious reality of resurrection life. So I wanna talk this morning about what is reality, um, what is living hope, which we're gonna get into in a minute, and then why is this glorious? So what is reality really? What is living hope that we're gonna look at a passage right now, and then why is this glorious for us, okay? So we're gonna look at 1 Peter 1, verses three through six. It's kind of like our text that we're gonna look a little bit closer at, and then we'll sort of explore together what this looks like for our lives. So 1 Peter 1, verses three through six. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. So what's happening in this passage is we're hearing this like articulation of why it matters that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Recently, this last week, I was in an interview in a podcast and the podcast host asked me, if you could only say one thing about Jesus, the last thing that you could ever say, what's the one thing that you would say? And it took me a second. I just like, was like, what would I really say? And what I want, I just was like, he's real. <laughs> like the story's real. Jesus is real. And if Jesus is real, the question we all have to ask ourselves is what does that really mean for me? And you're here, you're here in the room or you're here in your living room. You're here to explore that. And this is a safe place to explore that. And this concept that we see laid out in First Peter, this idea of like something new has happened. You have a new birth, like this new life is formed in you and this new life is formed in you and it gives you this living hope. What is hope? What is living hope? What does that mean for us? Is something I wanna explore a little bit today because it's a human like 
thing. It's a, we have a human capacity to have hope. Animals don't have hope. Um, animals don't have these like complex emotions and this ability to plan for the future like we do. Hope is this thing that is um, essentially and universally human. So we've got this wiring to actually plan and dream and vision for a future, but that hope needs an outlet. Whether you follow Jesus or not, you're going to find hope somewhere. So let's talk about where that hope can be found and what that looks like for us. All right, so human capacity 101. Like, let's just talk about this idea of hope. I'm gonna make a little drawing that I hope will help us. I'm building on John's drawing from last week. So here's my person. Um, there we go. And there we go. Here's a person, right? And we've been wired for hope. We have this capacity to dream and plan. And so we're gonna look for an outlet for that hope. So let's just talk about some of the places that we might find our hope, right? Like many of us, we look for our hope in money, our earning potential. We might look for our hope in relationships or in likes or in approval or in our sexuality. We may actually try to find our hope in good works and our ability to actually like impact the future, um, activism, the way that we engage in the world. These are not bad things. These are just things that are true about humanity. We actually might even look for our hope in rules. We may say like the structure, security, safety, even rules in the church, that's what makes us feel like we we can understand and we have the capacity to like make life okay. And these are all things that in their own right are not bad things, but when they become this primary outlet for our hope, something happens in us as humans because these things aren't designed to hold hope like that. Um, what happens here is that these things that become our hope ultimately become enslaving. They actually create in us either a striving because we need more and more, as John talked about the week before Easter. He actually said, I took a note, we settle for something we can choose rather than what God has already provided. Or even when we have these things, they create anxiety because we're finding all of our worth in them. So when we come into a relationship with Christ, what we're saying is I have a new place to find my hope. Now, my living hope comes in this glorious reality of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and it becomes a living hope. This is what scripture teaches us is true about our relationship with Jesus. Now, this isn't a new thing. This isn't a new idea. This has been around and is part of why the good news of the gospel is the actual good news. Scripture actually talks about this tendency within us to find our hope in other places. Take a look at a couple of these verses. Romans 1, 25 says this. It's actually talking about the idea of, um, as a people, our minds becoming dull to what reality is really, really is. What reality really is in the world that God has created. And the passage says they exchanged, meaning people, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. So if we go back to our diagram, this thing that felt like it was going to be a place that would bring us hope, whether that's in our earning potential and what we do, um, approval, likes, relationship, sexuality, our good works, what we think we can do for the world, or like rules, the things that we follow, the structures, whatever those things are, they ultimately, when they're a place that we continue to try to make an outlet to find our hope in, they ultimately will fail. We worshiped the created things rather than the creator. And in that ultimate failure, what we find ourselves feeling is that we are enslaved 
by these things that were meant to be good, not ultimate. And so when we talk about this idea that everything has changed because of Jesus, we're talking about the ability, like it says in our passage, to find a new birth into a living hope, to actually find our life, to find our hope in something that is actually built to be able to sustain that kind of weight something that actually can handle all of our human hope and be secure and have a foundation that goes beyond the world. Take a look at how the passage continues. After this new birth into a living hope, we actually receive an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. So now we've got this treasure, this goodness, this kingdom of heaven that we get to be a part of, and that's a thing that can't fall behind those walls. It can't fall behind the bars of the kind of things that we might use as hope that actually ultimately fail us. Now, the reality of this is that you probably won't believe me about this diagram until you've experienced it for yourself. That's just who we are as people. Like me telling you this, and me, you, may, you may nod along and be like, oh, that makes sense. But usually for a lot of us, we have to experience these powerful created things as not being able to sustain our hope before we can be really free enough to turn our eyes to something else, to be open to something more. We have to actually experience that these things have left us wanting, that they haven't really given us that, that ultimate thing we were looking for before we are in a position to say, yeah, I, I want that living hope. What would living hope look like for me? The fruit of the kind of hope that we find in created things leads to anxiety and striving and this bondage. The fruit of living hope leads to, as you remember from our passage, the ability to greatly rejoice no matter what kind of trials we're in. So it's a completely different output. The input of the hope has a completely different output where it's headed. And so when we talk about getting stronger in all of our relationships, when we look at a diagram like this, if we're finding our life, if we're finding our hope in the rules, in the structures, in the likes, in the approval, in the relationships, we're placing something upon those relationships and that stuff that actually, it can't sustain it. It's not, it's not actually built for it. There's a passage in Isaiah to just build on that that I've loved, I just discovered about a year ago. And in this passage, like there's an analogy being sort of played out. And the idea is there's a man who builds a fire and he takes wood and he fuels the fire and keeps himself warm with it. But then he, he takes the wood and he builds an idol with it. And this is how it uh, picks up in verse 19. This is Isaiah 44. It says, no one stops to think. No one has the knowledge or understanding to say, half of it I used for fuel. I even baked bread over its coals. I roasted meat and I ate. Shall I make a detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? And then listen to verse 20. Such a person feeds on ashes. A deluded heart misleads him. He cannot save himself or say, is not this thing in my right hand a lie? And the idea of that is like, is not this thing that I have put my hope in not actually built for the kind of hope I need? Is not this thing that I've decided I'm going to build my life on? I'm going to build my life on achievement, success, approval, relationships. I'm going to build my life on good works. I'm going to build my life on following the rules. Has that person ever stopped to ask themselves, is not this thing I'm holding in my right hand a lie? 
And so coming out of Easter and coming into this new season as we talk about relationships, the first thing I wanna invite you to do is ask yourself, what would it look like for me to find my living hope in something outside of these temporary things that surround me? What would it look like to actually begin to live into a new birth, into a living hope through my relationship with Jesus Christ? And I wanna give you some really like, I just wanna get super practical about how you can do that. Because whenever I'm with believers, whether they've been in the church for a long time or they're new to faith, there's always this little part where I can tell they're like, can you say more about how to actually do that? <laughs> because I get it. There's so many concepts in Christianity that they're just abstract. You know, it's like, oh, just remain in Jesus, and and he's gonna. And I, I just want to um, help you maybe see what that could look like for you as early as this week, as you begin to pursue. If you're with me, if you're saying, yeah, I get that. Like I do, I do want to explore like Jesus being my living hope in my everyday life, and I want to do that kind of through three um, approaches in this idea of a glorious reality. Okay. Okay, so before I do that, I want to say one more thing about um, why it is the way it is. Let's put it that way. So Jesus comes, right? And he he completes his earthly mission. He, he shows us through his ministry what it means to be in the kingdom of heaven. He is obedient to the Father to death on the cross. He takes the weight of the sin of the world upon him. And then God raises him from the dead to show that victory, that, that death has no victory over us anymore, that we are in a new birth. And Jesus is that first, that new Adam, that, that new step into that new birth. All of that has happened. And if you're like me, you may have asked the question like, if Jesus completed the work, what the heck's going on here? Like, why are we still here? Why can't I just say yes to Jesus and then like be beamed into a different reality or like just go into the kingdom of heaven fully? Like, what is the point of us being here now? And that's exactly what the disciples were asking. Like after Jesus's resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples. He appeared to several hundred people. There's all these eyewitness accounts of his, appear his appearance as a resurrected body. And the disciples were asking that same question, like, okay, it's done. Like, let's see what's gonna happen. Look what it says in Acts chapter one. So they gathered around Jesus, verse six, and they said, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Like they had this narrative in their mind that's like, when Jesus does what Jesus said he's gonna do, it's gonna be here. Like we're gonna be a part of it. We're gonna see it. We're gonna experience it. It's going to be now. And whatever they thought his restoration of the kingdom of Israel would look like, whether he would like be a champion, a victor, a general, uh, show his glory to the world, whatever they thought, they like thought it was going to happen right then. And here's what Jesus says back to them. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This mandate set by Jesus is the same one that we're still living in today. He's like, hey, it's not for you to know the times when that is gonna happen, which will happen. But really you're here to receive power from the Holy Spirit for a purpose. Like you have a responsibility and a reason to be here and you're going to receive power to be my witnesses. And that's, what's going to actually happen next. And if you read through the book of Acts, what you'll see happen is these guys come into progressively more courage and boldness as they live out what Jesus has mandated for them to do. It actually says in scripture multiple times, like they just, they tell a group of people, they're like, repent now because refreshment will come to you. And a little bit later in Acts, 
Acts chapter four, it says that when um, people saw that they were just ordinary guys, but they had this courage and boldness, they were just astonished. And they said, these people have been with Jesus. Like being with Jesus was the glorious reality that changed the way they operated in the world. And if you've ever thought like, what are we doing here? Like, what is going on? This is what's going on, is that we're operating into this glorious reality where Jesus himself has said, you have like a role to play. You're my witnesses. The way that you live out what living hope looks like, when everyone around you is gonna try to find their hope in all of these earthly things, the way you live that out as a believer is actually the mandate that I've given you until I come back again. That's what we're here to do. And so us as a, as a church, us as a community, kind of figuring out how to do this. What does this look like to find my hope in living hope? What does that look like to be progressively moving toward a relationship with Christ where I am finding my hope into this new birth, into this inheritance, where I have this great joy because of the life I get to live based on that hope, this completely different operating system, is what we're actually called to do right right till now, 2021. Until Jesus comes back, that is what we're called to do. So living hope is a daily, dynamic, purposeful relationship with Christ, not a one-time transaction. Living hope is now the stepping into what becomes stronger in our relationship with God and our relationship with everyone else because of this daily, dynamic, purposeful relationship with Christ. So if you've wondered how to do that, what can you actually do this week? I wanna give you three things that we're gonna focus on. How does this become a glorious reality for your life? Okay, so we're gonna talk about dwelling, we're gonna talk about growing and we are gonna talk about giving, okay? So the first word is dwelling. Romans 8 verse 10 says it this way. Oh, look, I drew you a picture. Dwelling, and I made you a little house, um, just to give you an icon. If you like words or if you like pictures, you can choose which one you need, okay? Dwelling is about the house. Growing is like this is a plant. This is actually the extent of my ability to draw. So I've given you all three um, icons that I can possibly ever draw. And living, I made this like a heart that's beating, okay? So dwelling, growing, or living. Dwelling, Romans 8 verse 10 says, but if Christ is in you, so it's actually from scripture, this idea that like when we talk about Jesus Christ being in your heart or using that, the, the word in, this comes from scripture because scripture actually talks about that this relationship, what happens is that Christ is going to be in you. If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness, okay? So now what we're talking about is the dynamic that I feel like comes up a lot with Christians, which is if if I've said yes to Jesus, why do I still have the same desires to do the same things? Why do I keep messing up, basically? If Jesus is in me, what is my relationship with like the old me and the new me? If I've been made new, why does it feel like I keep doing the same old things? And that's a great question. That's a, that's a mystery and sort of what we're all sort of exploring in scripture. But kind of like the best way for me to describe that is that Jesus moved in, but you didn't move out. Like you're, you're still there too. And it's almost like, um, let's say, if you're right, uh, just raise your hand, raise the hand that's your dominant hand. If you're right-handed, no, I really, even in your living room. If you're right-handed, raise your right hand. If you're left-handed, raise your left hand. Okay, so that's your dominant hand. Okay, so if I said to you, hey, I need you to just write your name with, you know, write your name. So you just use your dominant hand, you write your name. 
And then I say, okay, I want you to use your non-dominant hand to write your name. Well, it's not that your non-dominant hand does, it, it's not that it doesn't work. And really, if you worked at it, like you could bring that hand to the same, it has the same makeup as your hand that's dominant, right? But it's kind of awkward and clunky. And if you try to use your non-dominant hand to do something that you usually do with your dominant hand, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel as natural. It doesn't feel as easy. It takes like extra effort and intentionality. And I think about this relationship of dwelling with Christ as the difference. It's like you're moving from all your right hand or your dominant hand patterns, and you're trying to have your other hand take control and sort of take the lead. And if we're going to talk about that analogy with Jesus living with you, it's like you've been living for yourself. That's been your dominant pattern your entire life. And now you have someone new living in you. Jesus, the living spirit, is living in you. And that pattern is not going to feel as natural for you at first. And in fact, there's going to be times where you pick up that non-dominant hand, you try to live differently, and that other like dominant way is just going to take over. And that's going to keep happening as you start the process of dwelling with Jesus. So what's the solution for that? Truly, the solution is yielding, yielding to Jesus, like yielding to his way choosing every day to wake up and say, today is a day that I'm gonna yield my life to Jesus. Now some of you are like, how do I yield my life to Jesus? So here's a really practical way that I do that. I've got a note on my phone and the note says like the way of Jesus. And I just leave a running list of what I'm learning about Jesus and Jesus's way that represent the way I want to live, right? And it's not about the things I want to choose about Jesus, it's about all the things that Jesus is. I don't get to pick and choose what I prefer to be with Jesus because he's dwelling with me, right? He's my non-dominant pattern right now in my life. It's, it can work and it will work, but I still have dominant ways of thinking and experiencing life that I'm gonna arc toward. I'm just gonna fall back on, especially if I'm hungry or tired, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fall back on those dominant patterns. So rather than asking the question, like why am I just not a brand new person? I think we need to ask the question, how am I yielding my life to Christ as the dominant pattern? And I just want to invite you to do that same thing. Like you can just put a note on your phone, the way of Jesus. And as you experience life in Christ, you'll see on my list, Jesus is gentle, humble, forgiving. And I start writing those characteristics down because I need to see them every day. If I'm going to yield to the way of Jesus, if I really want him to dwell in me, I actually need to see it every day because my dominant pattern is so strong that it will take over without me even knowing it. If I am not intentionally seeking to have the dwelling Christ, the indwelt Christ in me, take the lead. That's the solution, yielding my life to him. Okay, so second thing is growing, okay? So growing, Romans 7, 4. So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to one another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. So what I love about this verse is it connects this idea of what does it look like to grow? And one of the ways that is clearly laid out in scripture that is the way we grow is that instead of becoming a person who lives for myself, I become a person who lives for belonging, for the group, for one another. And the one another of life can play out in the way that I am in my family, the way that I'm in my friendships, the way I'm in my relationships with people to your right and to your left in your home or in the church building. The way I do that, it's actually like a different way of life because now I don't just belong to myself. 
I actually belong to other people. I belong to this communal collective, which is the church. And in doing so, I'm not just living in my own patterns. Growing is that ability to begin to use that non-dominant hand in the way I actually see my relationships. So back to that notes app on my phone, there's gonna be challenging ways that Jesus chooses to live, that every day I'm going to have an opportunity in my relationships to ask the question, is that the way that I'm choosing to live? Do I live out of sacrificial love? Do I live out of a place of humility? Do I choose forgiveness? Do I choose gentleness? And all of us fail at this. This isn't about perfection at all. It's about the practice. It's the practice of what does it look like to walk in the way of Jesus. All the self-focused ways that we use to make things feel okay for us. Back to that analogy, all the ways that we find our hope. Growing is about allowing those to disconnect as we fix our eyes on Jesus, as we remain connected to yielding our life to his life. Okay, the final one is giving. And this is the power to actually make all the rest of it happen. So in order for me to actually live into the glorious reality of living hope, I need to experience Christ dwelling in me. I need to experience the growing that comes in my life because of it, but none of it is possible without this giving, this idea that the Spirit of God is life-giving. So in 1 Corinthians 15, 45, it says it this way. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. Now you might be like, what is this talking about? Okay, so a little tiny bit of theology. I mentioned it a little earlier. The idea here is that Jesus ushered in a whole new way to be human. Jesus wasn't just a great teacher and a great prophet, a messenger of God. He was all those things. But the cosmic reality of what Jesus did is that he actually was the beginning of a new way to be human. He is the new Adam. Just as Adam, as John talked about a couple weeks ago, sin entered in with Adam. This is where the Bible actually tells us that Jesus is the new Adam, like new life now has entered in through Jesus. And look at what Jesus is called. He's called um, in his resurrection, a life-giving spirit. So the way Jesus lives in us and the purpose of what he's doing is giving us life. Have you ever used that phrase like, oh my gosh, this like this music is giving me life or like this amazing meal is giving me life. Like the actuality is that the spirit himself can give you actual life. He actually brings us life. If you've ever experienced like the crazy, like um, sort of physical experience of being like really thirsty or really tired, and what you realized is that your, your whole energy level was so depleted, if you've like played sports or run or whatever, and you had a sip of water or a snack or something, um, if you've ever done like long distance running and you've had long, long enough distance that you've needed fuel, like a cliff block or something like that, or a gel, and you're so depleted, but literally this thing gives you life. Like 10 minutes later, you're not nearly as depleted. You, you thought that you had nothing left to give, but then this, this fuel works in your body. It enters your bloodstream. And it, what it does is it revives who you are. This is what we're given in Christ. The reason that we can experience living hope is because the spirit of God is life giving. Every time we're depleted, every time we find ourselves exhausted, when we think, oh, I don't have anything to give, as you've heard and probably said yourself, 
the function of the Holy Spirit is to be life-giving. It is to enter into where we are depleted and to energize. It is to restore. It is to replenish. And we find again and again, as we try to live out um, this new pattern of walking in the way of Jesus, of dwelling with Jesus, of yielding our life to Jesus, of not just living for ourselves, but living for others, that's not natural. And in the not natural part of that, like we're just not gonna be able to do it except that what Jesus promised to his disciples that he still promises us today is that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. When we say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit enters in and he actually gives us life. And so we don't have to worry about running out of what we have or or not being enough because we're not. We are going to run out and we aren't enough. But Jesus is enough. And the Holy Spirit himself is this life-giving, regenerating, rejuvenating energy that gives us power. So as we head into the series and deconstruct some of the ways that we're tempted to hook our identity and anchors into earthly hope structures, particularly even around like the rules and traditions around sexuality, I want you to uh, consider these three words, dwelling, growing, giving. Where are you today with these words? Is this a place in your life where you need to maybe for the first time say, yeah, Jesus, I want you to dwell with me. I want to say yes to yielding my life to you. Are you in a moment right now in this season where you think, yeah, you know, it's been weird. COVID's crazy. My life's been, I just feel like I've gotten off track and it's a new season and I want to re-engage with growing. Or are you in that place where you're like, I get it, I'm sold out for Jesus, I've been following Jesus, but I'm just weary. And I I, I don't know that I've ever really like apprehended the Spirit's power in my life, like that kind of boldness and courage and strength. I don't know that I have that. So whether it's dwelling, growing, or giving, I have um, a little application for each of those, okay? So if, if it's dwelling, this is what I want to invite you to pray each day, Holy Spirit, I welcome you today, and I yield to you today. Holy Spirit, I welcome you today, I yield to you today. If it's growing, I would say, what are one or two questions that you need to ask yourself every day that get you in touch with living into a new pattern, okay? So that right hand or whatever your dominant hand is always gonna try to lead. Self-centered living is always gonna try to lead. And if you're trying to grow, What are one or two questions that you can ask yourself to get you in line with the person that you want to become, to walk into the way of Jesus, whatever that word might be from that note on your phone? And then finally, if it is in the living, if it's in the life-giving thing, whenever you feel weak, weary, or discouraged in doing good, I want you to ask the Spirit of God to revive you, like to just experience that as like, this is my fuel, this is the way all through the day that the Spirit of God will revive me for this purpose, for being His witness, for living out this reality, living out a living hope for all the people around me. The Spirit of God wants to revive you in that. So wherever you are in this journey, you're welcome here, and I'm glad you're here. And as we continue forward, I think this is an opportunity for all of us together to say, yeah, we are committed to being people who experience living hope, who live out living hope, and who give living hope to the people around us. Would you pray with me? 
Oh, Father in heaven, um, thank you for resurrection life. God, for those of us today who are just feeling broke down and weary, God, for those of us whose faith is just feels weak, we just feel discouraged, we just are wondering if it's all real. Spirit of God, I pray that you would work and move in our lives even today, that you, the one who gives new life, who actually breathes life into us, that we would feel that replenishment even now, that we would feel that revival in our soul, the energy that comes only from you, the ability for us to actually be your witnesses, the ability for us to love each other well, to love ourselves, to give grace where it's needed for ourselves and for others. God, all of this requires your energy and your power. So we yield to you today in our hearts. For any of us who just, who know we've been resisting you, we've been finding our hope in these other things and, and maybe for the first time we're like the prophet Isaiah, or just like, is not this thing I'm holding in my right hand a lie? Has this been a lie? Have I been trying to find life in something that can't give me life? any one of us who's in that place, God, we pray that we would say, yes, I'm yielding my life to you, Jesus. I'm yielding my life to you, who is actual living hope. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness. Thank you for your work on the cross. Thank you that you are a living spirit who is among us and in us, equipping us, loving us, encouraging us, and sending us out into the relationships and the life that you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.